Hello there. This is Series 13 of Satisfied. The Series 13 podcasts enhance the prospective Bible study covering the books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians in the New Testament. I'm Melanie Newton, just an everyday kind of woman who loves the Lord and His Word. In the last podcast, we gained the biblical perspective on suffering. Today's podcast will cover Lesson 6 of the Perspective Bible Study. We'll gain the biblical perspective on sex and the flesh. In John chapter 8, Jesus took notice of a woman who was bait in a trap meant to turn the crowds against Jesus. Why and how she became the bait, we don't know. Someone squealed on her adulterous relationship and caught her during the secret rendezvous. We don't know her name, but I like to call her Ada to make her seem more like a real person, not just words on a page. Ada had a problem. She was sleeping with a man who was not her husband. The Bible calls that adultery. Adultery is voluntary sexual intercourse between a married person and a person who is not his or her spouse. Apparently, Ada's behavior was ongoing enough that others knew when and where she would be doing it. Adultery was not only against the Jewish law, It was also against God's law. It was considered sin in Jesus' day. It is still sin today. Sin is ugly in God's eyes. But praise God that through faith in Jesus Christ, you can have victory over any sin. And that includes sexual immorality. The Bible calls sin a work of the flesh. The flesh. Sounds like the title of a sci-fi movie, doesn't it? The Blob. The thing, the flesh. What comes to mind when you hear the word flesh? Sex and sensuality? Maybe bulging hips and thighs? Okay, I'm not talking about muscles and fat. I'm talking about something deeper that is an enemy to every Christian. And as we learned in our lesson, it certainly does affect a Christian's sexual behavior. What is the flesh? The flesh is hard to define. Dr. Charles Ryrie said the flesh was the personality of a human controlled by sin and directed to selfish pursuits rather than the service of God. In essence, the flesh is the human being in rebellion against God coming from that part of the soul where sin dwells. That's why some translations use the phrase sinful nature to describe the flesh. The flesh doesn't refer to our physical bodies. That's very important for you to grasp. God created this marvelous human body for us. The body is not evil in itself, but sin which indwells our humanity. That is the enemy. Since the time of Adam, every human has been born with a sinful nature. It's in our DNA somewhere. If I could bring in a surgeon to cut me open, find it and take it out, I would do that. Get it out of there. But we can't. It's with us until the day we die. We don't know what it is, but we know how the flesh works. It sends messages to the mind that are in conflict with the spirit. We know it's there. And we can certainly see its fruit in human behavior. Jesus described some of its fruit in Mark chapter 7. Paul described what living by the flesh looks like in Galatians chapter 5. The work of the flesh is obvious and it's ugly. At the end of the list, Paul basically says that if you look like that, you don't look like a child of God. It's that serious. 
The flesh is a pretty powerful force. Its driving force is self, self-effort, self-sufficiency, self-belief, and self-dependence. And the flesh is at war with the Spirit of God within us. Okay, so why does the flesh still assault us? Why is it still with us? When we became Christians, didn't all those bad things go away? Aren't we new creations? Why do we still have to deal with this flesh battle? To understand why this war is going on inside, we need to understand what happens when we are saved. When Adam chose to sin against God, he left a legacy to every one of us who have descended from him, a sin-driven nature and an empty, lifeless spirit. When we trust in Christ as our Savior, we get forgiveness for our sin plus lots of other wonderful treasures. We also get new life as the Holy Spirit comes to live inside our once dead spirits to make us spiritually alive. Our human spirit communicates with the Holy Spirit. We have direct access to God who is our Father. We are made into a new creation spiritually. For believers, this is done in the past when we first believed. The good news is that when we die and go to heaven, we'll get new souls and bodies without that sin DNA. The flesh will be gone. No more sinful impulses. Yay! But, here's the but. Until that time when we get new bodies, we live in an overlapping age. We possess the life of the new creation through the Holy Spirit in us, while still living in bodies of the old fallen creation in a fallen evil world. At the moment of salvation, we are born again of the Spirit. Our bodies are not born again, and our souls, that is the mind, emotions, and will, those are not instantly transformed. We still have the old thinking patterns, the old memories, and the old habits. We still live in a world that stands opposed to the truth of God. We still tend to believe and practice error until our minds have been renewed by truth from God's Word, and the flesh continues to assault us. We need to know this enemy to have victory over it. The New Testament teaches us some truths about the flesh, so we can have victory over it. Truth number one, the desires of the flesh won't go away. We have the choice to gratify them or not gratify them, but they don't go away. Truth number two, the flesh does not improve over time. It does not become godly over time. Bummer. Truth number three, the flesh won't leave us alone to be spiritual. In fact, Romans chapter six describes the flesh as a slave master that keeps calling out our names to make us obey it. Truth number four, the flesh wants control. There will be continual conflict. Romans chapter 7 describes the persistent nature of the flesh to concentrate on self. This is the universal experience of people who sincerely try to live a good life. Even after you're saved, you can never be good on your own. The flesh is there. Truth number five, the flesh doesn't become less able to be tempted over time. Whether or not we are presently tempted in a given area, we are capable of committing any sin mentioned in the New Testament, given the right set of circumstances, time, and temptation. Truth number six, the flesh uses a consistent pattern. The flesh sends a thought to your mind, leading to familiarity with that thought. Continued pondering 
leads to a loss of repugnance and eventually leads to curiosity. That leads to a desire to experiment with an activity. Having tried the activity, the flesh, like a goat, can learn to like it and even grow dependent on any sensual stimulus. You are hooked. The most damaging or dangerous thoughts are the ones that blindside you with a desire you didn't even know you were capable of having. So you and I must protect ourselves at all times through praying, Lord, protect me from myself. <laughs> our flesh is bad enough on its own, but our culture feeds it, enticing it to assert itself and take us captive to its demands. This is especially true regarding sex. Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, this warning. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. You've seen enough movies to be able to picture in your mind what it would look like to be taken captive. Some of you've been in bondage to something that has taken you captive. You understand that. Philosophy is a way of thinking about the world, the universe, and society. It works by asking very basic questions about the nature of human thought, the nature of the universe, and the connections between them. Human thoughts, human ideas, human traditions. Whenever those human ideas are separated from Christ in the Bible, they are hollow and deceptive philosophies. As a result, they are like a hollow chocolate rabbit. It looks good on the outside, but is empty, so it crumbles easily. But even more than that, they are extremely harmful because human philosophies that do not worship and submit to Christ are under the influence of Satan and his demons. This would include anything that leads you to believe you can do without God or can go against his word without consequences. Ephesians chapter 2 says that before Christ, we are subject to those spiritual forces. Through union with Christ, we die to them and are no longer bound to obey them. Yet they're still there, ever present. They cause us to focus on the material and the external rather than on Christ. Paul says stay away from any system of thought that depends on and gives credit to human thought and tradition more than to Jesus Christ. When considering anyone's philosophy, the qualifying test is this. Where does Jesus fit into their thinking? If their thinking says, he's just a way to know God or just a good teacher, and we accept that thinking, then we trade the core and eternal truth of Christ for lies. If their thinking is, he's just the way to get saved and go to heaven when we die, but doesn't care about what you do now, then you've turned him into a ticket for a destination and devalued him as Lord. Either way, we allow ourselves to be taken captive by the culture. What makes us susceptible to this cultural captivity? I found an answer to that question on one of my favorite sources for Christ and culture resources, Probe Ministries. Here's what they said. Cultural captivity looks to the culture rather than to Christ in the Bible as truth and a primary guide for living. Cultural captivity is usually caused by three things. Putting our trust in something other than the person or promises of Christ. Misunderstanding the truths by which Christ has called us to live or a combination of both. Remember the look, imagine, see, dragon I talked about in the Lesson 4 podcast? It burns us here. 
The culture's teachings lead Christians to think the culture will satisfy your heart needs more than Christ. So you become more likely to side with your culture rather than with Christ or the Bible, even on those religious practices or cultural issues clearly addressed in the Bible. You become infected by the culture. The sexual immorality infection has permeated our culture and the Church of Jesus Christ so much so that as many Christians are practicing it as non-Christians. The Bible's teachings are clear, but the pull of the flesh is super strong. How can anyone have victory over this infection? Victory comes through dependence on the Spirit of God to overcome the desires of the flesh. That's called living by the Spirit or walking by the Spirit. It is dependence on the Spirit of God to empower you to say no to the flesh and say yes to obedience to God. The blood of Jesus paid your freedom price so you no longer have to obey the flesh. The Bible calls that redemption. When God redeemed you, dear Christian, you became the possession of a loving, merciful God and you can live in the security of your freedom from bondage to the flesh. And here's the best part. You have a new master with greater power than the flesh living inside of you now, the Spirit of God Himself. He can give you freedom from any entrapping sin. We are not left helpless like a pawn in the midst of the conflict. We have God's empowering presence in us. He is able to give you and me victory in our battle over sin, including sexual sin. Listen to these words from Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul wrote these words, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desire of the flesh. Notice what this verse does not say. It does not say, if you clean up the flesh, you will become spiritual. As long as we live in these mortal bodies, sin remains a source of temptation in us. We must make the choice every single day whether to gratify the desires of the flesh or choose to live by the Spirit. To live by the Spirit is living in dependence on the Spirit to help you follow through with that choice. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 13 not to even think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Don't even go there. Here's the bottom line. We never outgrow our need to depend 100% upon Jesus Christ. Recognizing this should lead us to have compassion on one another and to not take risks with sinful behavior. Seek to depend on Christ more in your life than on yourself. Admit your weaknesses and trust Him to work there. Ask the Lord to protect you from yourself. In real life, I'm trusting Christ with some aspects of my life while living in self-sufficiency in other areas of my life. You do that too. As we learn more, we trust Him with more of our daily lives. It's okay to say, Lord, I can't do this on my own, but you can do this in me and through me. Then watch what He does. I read this quote from a book called Mama Bear Apologetics. The more we choose God's truth and God's way, 
the easier it becomes to resist the lies of the enemy and turn away from the temptations of the flesh. That is so true. We have this conflict within us until we die, but we have God himself within us to give us the victory over the flesh. Dear listener, your God created you with a spiritual thirst to know him. Another human cannot satisfy that thirst. Only God can satisfy the thirsty heart. The victory over the flesh that you receive by faith in Jesus Christ satisfies your thirst for love and acceptance. This love from God is what motivates you to live a life that pleases God. Let Jesus satisfy your heart with his perspective on life in the present and in the future. Then live securely in him during this time of waiting. Until next time, I'm Melanie Newton, and this is Series 13 of Satisfied.